The Greenlight Podcast will see clearly now with Oakley jumping into the podcast game. Head to oakley.com for the greatest shades in the game. Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to oakley.com and do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me, try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life and I can assure you Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com, O-A-K-L-E-Y, for more information today. Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. We welcome Howie Long back in the Studio J today for another movie recap. It's Any Given Sunday, a movie that Howie was almost in, and one that he essentially lived in terms of playing with the Raiders in the 90s. Chris Howie and Dr. Fax talk about their favorite scenes, their favorite characters, the legendary stories that came from this movie. I mean, everything about it was ridiculous. I'm sure you'll walk away from this conversation learning something. Howie also goes in depth on his movie career and tells some great John Woo stories. Y'all, please enjoy this. We will be back on Tuesday next week. Having a blast. Chris might be checking in, so make sure you tune in. Figured it'd be a good time to start the show with this. I mean, y'all know uh, I'm on vacation. I'm in Montana. Some of these shows you're hearing have been taped previously. They've been banked. We did these movie things. We're going to do Any Given Sunday Today. You might have already heard Varsity Blues. We're having fun doing this shit. So I get different combinations of people in. Today I get Dr. Fax and my dad, which is a great combination. We've done this combo before. This team plays well with each other. But... um, you guys sat down and Nate's coming out to visit me in Montana this year. So dad asked, have you been to Montana before? Dad forgot that like a decade ago, Nate came through, did some paddle boarding, loved it. Fast forward to 2023, we do a draft on this show, dad, of overrated and underrated states. <laughs> he said Montana? Overrated. You did? Oh my God, that's like, that's like sacrilegious. <laughs> that's how that's I like, feel. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but he's coming out in like three weeks. You panicked. And to upset Chris, I said Montana. So you admit it because dad's here that you were just trying to upset me. Yes. But you know, people from Montana love when you say Montana sucks because they don't want you to move there. I realized that so in the mid People in the comments were like, yep, no, nah, nothing to see here. No, That's- but I loved, I loved Montana. I brag about, oh, Montana, like, I brag about the fact that I've been there. <laughs> I've been in Flathead Lake. And I actually paddleboarded. It's when, like an ocean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, the funny thing is people do, like Chris said, People say, hey, look, don't don't, don't tell, tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to a 28-mile lake, 15 miles wide. You can see 15, you know, the continental divide to the bottom. Runs along the whole east yeah. shore of the lake, and we're looking right at it. Yeah, but but it sucks. So if you're uh, you're listening out it's there. Terrible. The water's cold. Yeah. People uh, are if you, if you get these three three things down, you can live in Montana. Yup. Nope. 
and you betcha. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, get those three yeah, things uh-huh. down. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, nope. You betcha. To the point. Um, then you work on it. Yep. Nope. <laughs> you betcha. You betcha. So we'll say hello to uh, Pulse in Montana. Hey. Yeah. Pulse in Montana. Hello. Hello. Um, all right, cool. Uh, we're talking about any given Sunday today. My background with the movie uh, is, you know, I'm 14 years old, so I have no frame of reference of what pro football's like, and uh, I don't even remember if I watched it front to back. You know, like, Dad told me plenty of what football was about. He also said the movie was, like, loosely based on some of the things he was familiar with. Um, watching it back... <clears throat> I thought it was really ambitious, really fucking long, um, and like well acted by almost everybody in the movie, but the sum of the parts didn't add up. You know, it's it's a it's a good movie. It's it's easy to watch. Uh, it's fast paced, but it felt like it was like a big ambitious swing at this thing, and it was going to be hard to to stick the landing. They almost did. It's a pretty good movie. What were your thoughts, Nate? Kind of similar to yours. I think looking back at when that movie um, was put out in 1999, you think about it being two and a half hours. Uh, for us doing this um, this exercise, I watched it twice, but it took me about four days to watch it. You watched it twice? <laughs> yeah. Why'd you watch it twice? Why not? Like I wanted to go through. <laughs> like it's a it's a it's a lot to take. It, it it's a it's a busy film. That's a, that's There's a lot of thought. plots. There's subplots. three thousand fucking cuts in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> IMDb has a three thousand cut. Okay, like it's just like bang, bang, bang. bang and every bang. time you watch it, just like you're saying, there, how many cuts are there in a John Wick movie? Oh, uh, I mean, he's killing. Yeah, it's probably yeah. a lot of cuts in a John Wick. Probably a lot. But just like you're saying, every time you watch it, you notice and you see certain things every that, time that you're kind of like, wait, this doesn't really <laughs> Every make time s- I watch the movie this yeah. week, <laughs> it's like it's like, hey, this doesn't really make sense. Um, but you wonder like when they're making these film and they're going through editing, they're just like, yo, this is going to let things ride because of the action or they don't really care about the plot or did they just miss it? Um, but overall I think it was great. And then me realizing that now the character is like being older and being like, oh, this is this person. Oh, yeah, this yeah. is that person. Yeah, Jim Brown, I, LT. But more. Y.A. No, Tittle's in the movie. No, Jesse, Jesse from Saved by the Bell yeah, yeah, is yeah. the. Is, I didn't see Saved by the Bell growing up. Really? Yeah, no, you didn't know that? She's Mandy Murphy. Okay. In the movie, she's okay. the she's the she's the hooker, the escort. We we, we didn't allow that in our house. To save by the bell. <laughs> really? Yeah, I didn't. I, I don't even know what Save by the Bell is. I you're saying you wow. allow hookers in the house. <laughs> it's like yeah, well, that one without saying. <laughs> but um, overall, I I thought it was a great movie. I I really enjoyed the the football scenes. Um, believe it or not, I'm trying to think if any movie to date really like um compares to the football scenes in this movie i think the sound whatever they did with the sound they did a real good job and like you see a lot of football movies and you're just like even like with the varsity blues thing you're just like ah like i don't know and certain hits and sounds and grunts and cracks um i think they did a real good job of it well we just talked about varsity blues and um that the budget there was 15 mil the budget on this film was 55 million dollars and at that time 55 million dollars is like 100 mil it's a lot of money and there's some great actors and actresses in the movie and um 
there's also great players in the movie, and I think they had access to the best information on what pro football was. We could debate whether they missed the, the landing <clears throat> trip on some of it, but you know, when it comes to knowledge of how to play out a realistic football scene, I thought they did a great job. The plays felt real, and I would argue that making a football move, movie, if you have the budget for it, is easy you know, with all the extras, I mean, it's a lot of people, and it's a lot of people that, that you know, you never heard of, and like with, with uh, Varsity Blues, it was, they had four out of five of the offensive linemen were former offensive yeah. linemen that played. So they know what they're doing, and yeah. it's, it's really hard for a fan to critique a football movie from a technique standpoint. You know, a basketball movie, I can tell if somebody's jump shot looks like shit. The reason uh, Puff Daddy wasn't in this movie is because he couldn't throw a fucking ball. <laughs> yeah. Like supposedly somebody on set said he threw like a girl and they sent him home on the plane. <laughs> you know, like quarterback's tough to emulate, <clears throat> but the blocking. Jamie Foxx did a good job. Yeah, he did. The, the blocking, the job. running, except he's 5'9". He probably couldn't, he, maybe he'd be like Bryce Young. But right. like it's, you can recreate that. There's enough former football players who need a check and you've never heard of that you no can question. throw into a movie. And I thought they did a really good job of that football <clears throat> action. I, I thought I thought the football action was as good as it gets. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think one, uh, Oliver Stone probably trusted the people that were in place. The, the stunt coordinator is a guy by the name of Alan Graft who played at USC, who's worked on tons of films. As a matter of fact, I worked with him on Broken Arrow. Great yeah. guy, knows football, USC guy, the whole thing. Did and you he, blame him for you breaking your rib on set? No, I, you know, I, I, re, I was jumping from one train to another, and we did it like nine <laughs> times. Wait, I thought it was the doc that you broke Oh, no, I broke my, that was on Broken Arrow. Oh, that oh, was yeah. on Firestorm. Firestorm, right. Firestorm, I hit a patch of black ice and explosions were going off behind me as I'm running down the dock. No shit. And I want to stop at the end of the dock because it's November in Canada. Yeah. And I don't want to be in the water. Yeah. Time out. So I go to stop, my feet go up in the air, and I've got this axe on my hip. Yeah. And the axe goes up and breaks my rib. Yeah. Wait, wait, so you did you did all your own stunts in movies? No, I didn't do all my own stunts. Oh, okay. I didn't do any of the motorcycle stunts because I didn't know how to drive a motorcycle. Yeah, and plus... But the rest of them I, the rest of them I did. <laughs> Do you plus, remember your, your double? Did oh, he, yeah. Danny Winan. Yeah, he, and did, plus... Did he, really, did he really look like you? He like, did look kind of like him. <laughs> I think like, oh, at quite. a distance, you know, he was yeah. he was leaner, yeah. uh, same size. Flat top. You know, they gave the flat top and all <laughs> nice. that. And uh, ironically enough, two days before principal photography started on Firestorm, he took little Howie this is the story. around a parking lot in Whistler up in Canada on his motorcycle. <clears throat> because he was going so slow, he hit a patch of gravel. The bike slid out. Howie had a spiral fracture going up his leg. Howie had a cast from here down to his toe. It was nasty. The cast weighed more than Howie did. How did you see he? the bone? I saw the spiral fracture. You saw it. No, you don't see it. No, but you didn't see. There no, was it wasn't there, like no. A, there was, it wasn't a compound yeah. so fracture. So you watched this happen? Uh, yes, we saw it happen, and you're up in Whistler. Yeah. And here we are in an SUV, and Free we're scrambling care. to get to a hospital. I don't know where to go. Yeah. Oh uh, but you know, it, it ended up it ended up working out well. But I, I worked with Danny Wan in a number of times. Uh, good guy. You were also tight with one of the stunt guys in The Predator. Henry Kinji. Henry Kinji, classic, great guy. And he was he's like yeah. in everything. Like once you <clears throat> find, once yeah. you know 
the guy doing the stunts. You know where Arnold goes you'll down? You'll see him in every movie. Mm. It's like, when Arnold goes down, he, he kind of army crawls down the hill, and there's a, a pickup truck for whatever reason that has some kind of a belt mm-hmm. that's running on a loop. Mm-hmm. He cuts... He cuts the belt. Mm-hmm. Henry Kinsey's the guy that runs and jumps into the pickup truck and blows up. Yep. Henry was always the guy that did all the stunts. But I, I thought, getting back to any given Sunday, I thought the football stuff was was so realistic, as realistic as you can get. I right. mean, there were a lot of football players. They had a lot of former players. They had a lot of probably B-level players who were available. Um, I think... Uh, the thing, that, the thing that always gets me about the movies, and it was the same thing with North Dallas 40, um, where are these parties yeah. that they go to? I mean, <laughs> I, played for, I played for the Raiders. Yeah. I played for the Raiders. Guys disappeared two, three days at a time. I've never seen a party like that. It also that. never looked that glamorous. Like, we've all been to NFL parties, and I'm not speaking for you, but, like, there's some seedy, gross shit going on. There's, there's people acting up. It's, it's yeah. out of control That's, at times. But it's never as coordinated as that LT party, and that's you what know, I, like, and that's what I saw on a car in half. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> I You're said, real. I, I said in my notes, the only thing I can chalk it up to not being at a party like this is that I never indulged in coke, and maybe like guys mm, maybe who have parties yeah. like that, yeah, like that happens. But like the doing the lines off of females and yeah, just I didn't the, see a lot of that. Yeah, like it, it's now, now I feel th- like this maybe maybe this movie is the reason why people think this type of I do think like, this movie as, as as ambitious and at times like as well as the try the try went like taking on these issues it also like made us look bad in some way <laughs> you know like like you know it just the thing about it was an NFL locker room yeah there's three guys on every team that act like the guys in this movie mm-hmm. but there's also there's 50 guys yeah, that are like normal. They're going home. They're going to chapel. Yeah. They're like, they're 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 good parents. They they have like stable marriages. That and it's Miami. You know, like yeah. most NFL franchises are not in a place like Miami. So I thought the the, the partying was a little bit un, unrealistic. Yeah, the the, the, te- the tension with the owner with coach and Al Pacino. I thought he was extraordinary in it. I thought he did a, I thought he did a great job uh, and really. Uh, I thought captured the whole lo- the essence of the locker room, the speeches, and and all that, and trying to reach the player on the field, particularly uh, Jamie Fox. Uh, I got a call on the film, uh, and I never considered it for a couple of reasons. One, I was like, you know, I, I don't really want to go do a football movie. Uh, two, is part of the movie was based on the book. Uh, it's just a bruise written by Rob Heisinger, who is an internist uh, fresh out of med school at Harvard yeah. uh, with us, with the Raiders. And he was just shocked at you know how our, our whole medical process took place. And Dr. Rosenfeld was the doctor that he was kind of butting heads with. And uh, we had a philosophy. And hey, listen, you know, here's the way I look at it. I like Dr. Rosenfeld. Dr. Rosenfeld had a job, and I knew what his job was. His job was to get us on the field. Uh, you shot a lot of players up in those days, and you made a lot of decisions for yourself as a player. I made those decisions. You know, Dr. Rosenfeld didn't say, get on the field. You have to get on the field. At the, end of, the, stopping at the end of the day, I make the decision. There was one, one situation that was really botched and mishandled was – 
I, I feel like I strained my calf. My calf, something popped uh, at the Coliseum playing Miami. I'm, I'm on Dwight Stevenson down on the nose. <clears throat> Double reduce. I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and that first step where you, and bang, <laughs> something goes in your calf. And they, we were, for two weeks, we were draining it and draining it. And they were telling me it's just a bruise. And, you know, that's yeah. the title of the book. It's just a bruise. So I get an MRI, and, and you could only see the team doctor at that time mm. in the no NFL. No second opinion. No second yeah. opinions, nothing. So you got what information he wanted to give you. Um, what ended up happening was I didn't get the information on the MRI. So I go to the same breakfast place I stop at every day, get a full breakfast, pull into the facility. They tell me I got to rush to the hospital. I have a blood clot in my calf. Jeez. I wake up with a 10-inch zipper on my calf, and there's no, no, virtually no calf. And you got no calf now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, one of your calves is like... Yeah. Well, it's a 10-inch zipper. Yeah, it's like totally deflated compared to the other one. Yeah. Was Rob Heisinger supposed to be James Woods? No, Dr. Rosenfeld was James Woods. The young doctor was 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 Rob Heisinger. Rob Heisinger. And Rob Heisinger was, I liked him. Um, (laughs) It's funny because he was a wrestler in college. Mm -hmm. And to give you kind of an idea of what the organization was like at that time, uh, I'll never forget we were in the training room and he was telling me he was an all-American wrestler in college, but he obviously not in the same weight class. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so at that time, you know, I feel like I'm bulletproof. I said, okay, put me in you, put me in your best move. Mm-hmm. And we're in a training room. Just, there's just two or three of us in the training room. He puts me in his best move. I'm starting to throw him around and an executive walks in. I picks up a scalpel because we had this magnetic thing and it was stuck yeah, to it. Yeah. He grabs a scalpel and says, don't ever f- touch him. If you touch him again, I'll f- stab you. It's a lot easier to get doctors than it is all pro defensive guys. Nice. I was like, kind of wondering. And we both kind of like, didn't you mean you'd fire me? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. That happened. What about, were there any guys in the movie characters that reminded you of anybody you played with? I would say probably Lawrence. You know, I mean, Lawrence is. He seemed most realistic. Yeah, Lawrence was the most. <laughs> Lawrence was the most realistic, and I, you know, Lawrence was. I, I don't want to say that was Lawrence because I, I didn't play with Lawrence, and I don't, I don't, I don't have that kind of perspective. But I mean, from the on the outside looking in, Lawrence went to a place mentally that very few players get to. You know, he from it's like Ronnie Lott. Ronnie Lott. You know, when it buckled up, Ronnie's one guy here, and he's another guy when it buckles up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember just putting Ronnie's chin strap back on in the huddle. He's just so knocked out. Yeah. You know, he really was and what a, an extraordinary guy. Ronnie Lott is as good a man as you'll ever run into. So what are your favorite sports movies before we get into <laughs> the rest of the film? You know, I it's interesting because it's like with this film, is it the best football movie I don't know yeah. I you know there are a lot of movies that I go back to you know I and and they might not be the best from a, a, a directorial standpoint or or a cinematic standpoint or or the realism I, I love Cinderella man yeah. uh, uh, one of my favorites I, I've Russell Crowe was was great in it I love the story of the depression it's a historical piece uh, Rocky, for obvious reasons, when it came out, your mom and I were at Villanova, yeah. and uh, it, it was an amazing film. And, 
and Carl Weathers was, played for the Raiders. So uh, North Dallas 40 to me from what, what was being asked of the players physically, mentally, you know, what you had to do to, to get yourself on the field to play. At that time, it was a different time. Things were done differently. Uh, I thought Nick Nolte was amazing in the film. I thought he, and he based that character on Freddie Blitnikoff, ironically yeah. enough. And you could see it. If you go back and watch North Dallas 40, he is Freddie Blitnikoff. Uh, now, I'm not saying he was Freddie Blitnikoff off the field, but the way he captured the physical toll that it takes on you and the mental toll, and uh, I, I thought he did a great job. Mac Davis, who, who I, I don't remember being in any other films, was the quarterback, and I thought he did a great job. Yeah. Uh, John Matuzak, a teammate of mine, was in the movie and was the, the prototypical cartoonish football guy, 6'8", 295, in the movie. <clears throat> and, but there was one scene in the locker room that he just nailed it. It was, it was talking about, you know, you, you tell us it's a game and then it's a business. And it, he went into this rant. If you go back and watch North Dallas 40. I think we will. <clears throat> it's one of the most poignant scenes in the movie. But Nick Nolte's walk in the morning that you know when you're beat up and you're you know you've broken everything you can break and you've had you know the surgeries are approaching double digits and those first three steps on your way to take a leak in the morning uh, like a mystery you just don't know how those first three steps are and things are cracking and mm -hmm. your back's locked up and you can't move and people can't understand you're in that condition and on tuesday they're saying to you we need 80 snaps out of you yeah. this weekend and you're thinking to yourself how in God's name am I going to play? Usually you feel worse on Tuesday than Monday somehow. <laughs> yeah. Like it just, it just happens that way. Um, hey, Matt, question for you. Is this Oliver Stone's last good movie? I think so. It's probably my second favorite movie of his. I really like Wall Street that he did in the yeah. late 80s. But yeah, it's, he hasn't really had a ton of super successful movies since this. But it is interesting that, you know, we all love this movie. The critics didn't. It was only 52% positive critic reviews, but the audience score is 73%. So once again, don't trust they the didn't know what They didn't know what to do with it. I also think this, like the NFL didn't know what to do with it. Like mm -hmm. supposedly the NFL was all like into giving them film and that sort of thing. And then when they found out what the movie was about, they were like, nah, and we're going to include this in the preseason meetings and yeah. tell everybody like, don't associate with anybody who's doing this movie. Daryl Owens still went into the movie, but it makes sense because Oliver Stone's known as like a conspiracy theorist. So the NFL really didn't. No question. Get involved yeah. with that. Either. No question. He yeah. he wakes up in the morning thinking conspiracy. <laughs> Breakfast is a conspiracy. Hey, one more thing, man. Like, what was being an actor like? I mean, you know, like, is there anything that would surprise me that you haven't told me? Um, you know, when you play football and you're on a team, you're accountable to everybody around you, and. Uh, you know, I, I thought Kurt Russell was great in Miracle, yeah. one of the other films. And he's a guy I worked with yeah. in, in 3,000 Miles to Graceland with Kevin Costner. Um, <clears throat> I thought those guys were like athletes. Yeah. Kurt Russell, Kevin Costner were like athletes. They're, you know, they're accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, John Travolta was cool. When you're on a $50 million film like Broken Arrow was, you know, they asked me to coming I was supposed to be there two weeks three weeks and then I got to call your mom and say 
John Woo keeps coming in my trailer and saying, we make you bigger, John Wayne. <laughs> she said, you John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm there three months. Yeah. And you guys are home, yeah. you know, yeah. putting drugs. ramps putting ramps down by the pool and riding bikes into the pool. <laughs> and, and there's only so much you could do over speakerphone. Uh -huh. You know, I, um, I would say it, it can be kind of, you know, and, and I don't know if John even remembers this. Uh, but we were driving down the road in a chase scene in the middle of, you know, somewhere in Utah. Uh, and there's nothing out there in a Hummer and I'm driving and, <clears throat> and you know, in between scenes, there's a, there's a camera truck in front of us. And John says, uh, he says between takes and I'm like, I, I'm all business. So you need me for 15 hours. I'm here for 15 hours and fine, fine, fine. He says, uh, how's your energy, Howie? And I said, I'm good. You know, I'm mean, going to say I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I'm good. He said, you know what? I think we need some cookies. Mm. And we're out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, nowhere. He radios up on the walkie-talkie to the truck in front of us and tells them we need cookies. Mm -hmm. So on a Hummer, the center console is probably this big. Yeah. <laughs> and he has the chopper that's on the set go to God knows where mm -hmm. to get cookies mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Were they good? Oh, they were, you know, Pepperidge Farm, mm -hmm. you know, assorted <laughs> cookies. So we've got a tray of cookies that's here. So good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing where if you did that at not foot, happen. it's not going to happen. If Hey, you know what? I, I need a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stop. <laughs> How but John, feel? John cut a big hole in the water and he was, he was good to people on the set. Uh, he was good to me, and uh, it's fun to be in a $50 billion film. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Kevin Costner. He was great. They yeah. were all great. Yeah. Yeah. How'd that feel to kind of get called up? Like, you're sort of inexperienced at that point, and then John... Inexperienced? Was... I, no The experience. first time I'm on the set, I walked on the set, and they mic'd me up, and that was it. Was that, like, surreal that he started giving It was kind of surreal, part? but you know what? When I came into the NFL, and I, you know, I got drafted by the Oakland Raiders those first 20 or 30 steps on the field were a lot like those first 20 or 30 steps onto the set because yeah. I, you know, I hadn't played in anything. You played in, in much bigger college football environment yeah. than I did. So, yeah. yeah. This podcast is brought to you by Cash App, the easy way to send, spend, save, and keep your money safe. It's great because no matter how hard life gets, Cash App keeps my money safe. You know, I, I lose a lot of stuff. I'll lose my keys, I'll lose my wallet. Sometimes I'll go on the river and the keys will end up at the bottom and anybody's guess where they are. But the point is, no matter what mistakes I make, I make a lot of them, I know Cash App is keeping my money safe. So I'm not gonna lose my money. There's card lock, face ID, and real-time transaction alerts, which means I'm free to be an idiot in every other way. Thanks, Cash App. Download in the App Store and Google Play to see why it's the number one finance app in the US App Store. Good news, the Thursday show we do with AMP will continue 4.30 every Thursday. The Greenlight team, Cowboy Reed, Fax, Kingston, 
Uh, I'll pop through there sometimes. On AMP, you can interact with us really easily. There's a call-in button. We invite call-ins all the time. You can talk directly to us, ask us questions, ask us our favorite music. We might even play some. There's also a live chat during the show. If you have a question about a topic we're talking about, fire it off in the chat. We'll answer. We're going to be uh, we're gonna be doing what we've been doing all fall, uh, every Thursday at 4.30 on AMP. Uh, check us out. I'm so excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made for you. You all know I spend a good bit of time on the river and in the woods, and I need something that protects the eyeballs but gives me a clean, fresh look. Oakley's are changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train? Just want to look like your favorite athlete, like, uh, I don't know, Lamar Jackson, Debo Samuel, uh, Justin Jefferson? then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self, there's more than meets the eye. Here on the show, we're all about looking good and playing good, and that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. We don't leave our house in the morning without our Oakleys. And since it's officially almost summer, you need to upgrade your sunglasses game now. Check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today. I rock the Sutro TIs because they have a solid style that fits my work-play way of life. They look great when I'm in the field at softball and I'm on the river enjoying a float, but they also come in clutch whenever I need to look professional. Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to oakley.com and do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me, try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you, Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com, O-A-K-L-E-Y, for more information today. All right, let's hit some of our favorite scenes. Anybody can chime in with one or two that they like and we can talk about it a little bit. What you think, Nate? Like, I mean, the iconic one is the the first when Willie Beeman first gets in and he throws up. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's, like, culturally, like, iconic. Yeah. Drake raps about it yeah. in a song. Like, a lot of people use it as reference now. And... Um, and it's something that I feel like at being, being, yeah, <laughs> being a, a football mm-hmm. player, we can kind of like all relate to, like whether it's nerves. Um, I've definitely thrown up before a game from because nerves? no, from from overhydrating, drinking too much, and then going out there and warming up and getting back in the locker room, and my stomach is just like yeah. shaking up from doing high knees and whatever. Or the other end, like number sixty nine, <laughs> like Latimer from the program, he had to take a shit with the IV on, <laughs> like all the drugs they pump you full full of. Like the first half, it's it's anybody's guess. So you're gonna have to go back to like Tordal, Ultram, all that stuff. And it just tears We just your did cortisone out. xylocaine so you could hit a wall. Well, we did cortisone don't too, feel but it, yeah. you know, it, you know, when when you need a little bit. They didn't extra. have Tordal when I played. Yeah. Tordal. End of my end of my career, I was two shots of Tordal, two Ultram, and two Tor and and two more of something else. And you know, a lot of times, like you'd run out the first for warm-ups, and I was like, I'm buzzing. No. Like, I feel good. <laughs> College used to get the Tordal in the butt. Oh, I, I, I didn't miss a game without Tordal. <laughs> I, I, I didn't find out until, until like, the last half of senior. That you could actually season. get it, that it was yeah. actually available to yeah, you. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, yeah, that was this behind is the curtain the whole time. <laughs> game changer. Uh, I, you know, I, I love the scene. 
it's a totally unrealistic scene. It's a plot hole in a way, and we'll get there. But like uh, at the end of the movie, when they're walking out of Dallas, and you know, you would never be out there. The stadium's totally clean, so obviously, like, you know, they've been there a while. Usually, after the game, you get on the the bus and you go home. You don't put your jersey back on and throw out on the field. You know, like uh, Billy Beeman was out there in his jersey and no shoulder pads. That's um, where it got away from him. Yeah, but I did love that conversation yeah. between him and Willie Beeman. It was like, you know, at the end of every season in the NFL, there is a point where everybody's like, okay, it's over. And, you know, it's exit meetings. It's the last party. It's like whatever. It's the last day on the field. And you kind of you kind of close the loops. Now, they had a couple more playoff games to go, and they lost, uh, I guess, San Francisco or something. But these guys had a really fractured relationship, and you could see that it was like they were mending it. You know, whether Willie was going to be on the team next year or not, like, at least they could leave with dignity. And, uh, you know, Pacino saying, like, it's all about, you know, I met a guy from way back in the day that played, and he said the one thing you miss is looking at the guys in the huddle. And I got chills hearing that because it really isn't any of the other stuff that people imagine, but it's that feeling of like, we're locked in, the stakes are high, we're all on the same page, and I can count on you and you can count on me, and there's nothing I can replicate, even podcasting business, my family, like there's nothing I can replicate that with after football, and and the line, I'll miss you, amigo. Mm -hmm. I love that line, and uh, obviously, they didn't miss each other um, because he went to Albuquerque with him. Great post-credit scene. But... I thought Which was um, great. I thought that was a great scene, and I really love Pacino's connection with uh, Jamie Fox, and I loved Pacino's connection with Cameron Diaz. I thought Cameron Diaz had a great performance. I thought them yelling at each other was so fucking raw, and the arguments that they were having. Like I've never been in an owner and coach meeting, mm-hmm. but I would imagine it gets heated. I thought it was really cool with him and Jamie Fox, though, because Jamie Fox. I, I just saw an interview where the first time he met Pacino, he asked him to come to Shutters on the Beach. You know where that is? Mm-hmm. I actually stayed there for the Willie Nelson uh, yep. thing with Tom and Kevin. And I know exactly where he's talking about. He walks in, he meets Al Pacino. And he said Pacino was just like, he was a great coach. You know, like that that's what he was for Jamie. And he was a coach for Jamie in the movie. Yeah. But off, off, you know, off screen, he was coaching him up and took him under his wing. And he was like a real team player. You know, not the Pacino. He said, Denzel, when you meet Denzel, it's the same guy. You know, like, he, he, he sounds the same. He talks the same. The whole thing. Pacino's like a totally different guy. Kind of disarmingly unsure of himself. The whole thing. I love that scene. And I love their connection. <clears throat> I loved Pacino throughout the movie. And, you know, that relationship was great. I thought his relationship with um, Dennis Quaid's character. Yeah. You know, the guy that... You know, you you build that up over a period of time. That, that's your guy. Yeah. You know, that's the guy you've you've won with, you've you've lost with, you've yep. you've you know done battle with, and you know amigo and all that. Uh, Dennis Quaid was was that, and there's it's it's as, as inevitable as a wave hitting the beach. You know, your time will come, and and the coach, if he's lucky, is going to have to bury you. Yeah, yeah, he's going to. You know, I, I that's one of the reasons why. I, Get out when I got out. I said, I don't want someone telling me to go. I want to yeah. go. Um, and that was the way I did it. But I, I liked Al. I thought Al Pacino did a great job. I thought in looking at it, you know, I called you the one night I was watching it. Or I texted you the one night I was watching it. 
I thought Lawrence Taylor in sections of the film was great. Yeah. Was great. Yeah. You know, with the injury and the neck and you know, the head and they're they're not giving him all the information and he's he's gotta get out there and play and you know, Jim Brown's his coach and you know, Jim Brown as the coach, you know, he can love him all he wants, but at the end of the day he's gotta get Lawrence Taylor back on the field. But I thought Jim Brown and LT had a really realistic relationship yep. between an old vet and an yep. old coach that played. Like I had some old coaches that played and it's a special connection and, and that guy can motherfuck you with, like almost like it's endearing. Like you know it's 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 like affectionate, but they're telling you the truth. He can do that, but nobody else can. Exactly. Because nobody else on the team could do that to him. And I love that connection. I thought yeah. they had that like and even at the end when they were playing with Shark's life, LT's life, yeah, you know, effectively with uh, the diagnosis that they had their hands on, like Jim was not comfortable with it. He knew yeah. his place, but he he was not comfortable with it. And the one thing I thought was unrealistic was I don't think you could sign a waiver on something like that. <laughs> I don't. I, yeah, I'm not sure that there's. I don't, I don't think there's a check that box. Well, yeah, you, like, know, you could check a box on a knee. You could check yeah. a box on a maybe a back neck. You start to get a little bit. But conversely, I also thought it was unrealistic that when Cameron Diaz and James Woods, I believe, were having this conversation about cutting him in the offseason, that they actually cared about his family and how much money he had. Like, no one's having that conversation. You know, James Woods is like, he has four kids. You know, like, that's never a part of the calculus. <clears throat> well, you know, I, I no, it's not to a great extent. You know, I, I thought Al, Al Davis could be a lot of things. Yeah. But the one thing I will say about Al Davis is he helped a lot of former players yeah. that people don't know about. Well, maybe Al was influence in that yeah you see that's somewhere. what i'm saying you know I, I i think if you're consulting with someone from the raiders and you know obviously that that dynamic of the two doctors the old doctor who's made his deal with the devil to a certain and had extent. a lot of chicks no, doc, Dr. Rosenfeld wasn't like so that. They, so they, they embellished that. <laughs> no, Dr. Rosenfeld, was, that seemed like an unnecessary it. part of the plot, like where again, I think where it, I think that was, I to me, the reason why they did that was it kind of explained why he was hanging on and... The lifestyle. Doing what he had to do. To they do like the lifestyle. Continue the lifestyle. They do like the lifestyle. There's a big lifestyle. No football, question. And a lot of the reason that coaches stay in so long, too, is what I found is, and I'm not throwing shade, but we go on the road, you know, we got a curfew, we can't be doing anything but studying our shit. These coaches and doctors, they go out and have a good time and they go out to dinner and they're the ones who are supposed to be working on the fucking game. <clears throat> How many times can I study, you know, um, heat and hot? Like those are my two, so I just, my point is, like there's a definite lifestyle um, factor when it comes to like sticking in the league a long time. And these coaches, it's like a country club. Same thing with the doctors and the and the other the other thing I thought they really captured with Al Pacino had there were so many dynamics to his character and and there were so many scenes that you could point to Same the you know the Willie Beeman uh, you know the the Dennis Quaid character all that but him sitting alone at a bar yeah and you know he's trying to get a hold of his estranged family because that's real because it's real because he he you know people don't realize how hard it is 
to coach in the NFL yeah. or in college football. Yeah. You don't have you have to have not a good wife, not a great wife. You have to have an amazing wife, mm-hmm. and your kids have to be understanding. I apologize to you for the first five years of your life because you know you're, you're playing 13 years. You don't have a dollar guaranteed. I could be cut at any time, yeah. not one dollar. Yeah. And we didn't make big money at that time. I yeah. mean, my check was one thousand seven dollars my rookie year after taxes. Yeah. But it would have been the same for me. I had a used Coupe DeVille, man. Yeah. I was in Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it would have been the same for me, though, with my kids if I'd have had them earlier because it's impossible to be present. Yeah, because you're just you, – you put so much pressure on yourself. And I thought that was one thing that, that really showed up in this film. They captured the essence of the pressure – that the players feel, that the coaches feel, yeah. that the owner feels, everyone feels, the doctor feels. The pace of the movie helped do that. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was in your face. I mean, I honestly felt like with all the cuts, I was gonna have a seizure. It was like one of those things. The one thing that they actually capture really well on a family level, or like a relationship the level. Fight. Was the fight with, with you, Jamie with, and his girl? Yeah, with, yes. which you can see that play out with a lot of guys that we play with, and like, don't let my success go to your head, bitch. Well, yeah, that <laughs> just just the minute he got successful, like it strained that relationship. All the insecurities because, because it just brings to the forefront all the insecurities and all the temptations of being that star player, and and and, and even, well, he, there was an arc to his character because I think he was humble. Yep, he was out of control. Then he kind of came back down to came earth. back down to earth towards the end, and of the that's film. how it goes for a lot of guys. And in the meantime, they lose people. They lose whether it's their yep. wife, their their friends, like you know. And sometimes it's just that player's not even changing. Willie Beeman was, but it can be the appearance of all the things that this person now has to do, the responsibilities, the, the hands they have to shake, the parties they have to go to, the 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 attention that you can just feel on your significant other. I think that's a big strain. Mm. And right down to, I'm going to call your mama. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, going to call your mama. It was just so, it was so on point. And then, like, the, the gals getting the guys in trouble <clears throat> at the party. Like, that shit goes on. You know, my, are, my guys always tried to get me to go out. Yeah. And I wasn't really much of a go-out guy. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'd say to them, and it worked for just about everybody. I said, you know what? You want me to go out? Call my wife. Mm-hmm. One guy in 13 years said to me, give me the number. Who was it? Tim Brown. Oh, Tim Brown. Tim Brown called Diane, and he said to your mom, hey, Howie said, you know, he can't go out because, you know, he said. Oh, if we play together, I would got you out. And she said, do you believe that bullshit? (laughs) He just doesn't want to go out. (laughs) Tim Brown. Was that that realistic? Because one of my favorite scenes is when Cap's wife is like yelling at him, telling him that he can't retire. <coughs> Lauren like, Holly. Yeah, Lauren Holly. Dumb and like, dumber. Like the you have three more well, you want to talk about, I think there are, there are people who definitively like the lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, you know, your identity is, uh, it, listen, I'm not throwing stones it's at anyone. Lie, er, there, there's enough guilt for everyone, the players, coaches, wives, wh- whatever. And, and they're great players, great coaches, great wives. It's It's just a question of, you know, how, what your perspective is. And then there's some Godzillas, some wives that everybody on the team knows. Like, But yeah, but usually that, the quarterback that, that, that like chick if you, is running that guy's life. And uh, if your wife goes anywhere near that chick, like maybe you should make some shit up about her because like I don't want my <laughs> wife being friends with the Godzilla wife. That was Lauren Holly. That's that's the that's the, the, the dynamic. And then to get back to you, like um, to what you were saying earlier about 
the NFL not liking and them putting kind of like a bad name on uh, football players. I'm sitting here watching this movie with my girl, and they show um, what Vladimir, the old lineman in this, yeah. in, in yeah. any given Sunday, Vladimir. they show him being mad watching on um, Willie Beeman on TV at his house, and he has about three kids running around. Mm-hmm. His wife looks like she's like nine months pregnant, mm-hmm. and she goes like she's like cleaning up, and she goes like, "Why can't we get um, a maid?" Mm-hmm. And he was like, why do we get married? <laughs> like, yeah. what did I get married for? And then the next scene, when it cuts, it's the party scene mm-hmm. after they win. And he's pulling up <laughs> on the bike <laughs> with an escort. Yeah, I mean, and, like, and my it, girl was like, is that the same dude that just had the last scene? And I was like, yeah. It, it gives you, like, it gives you a, it's a bad look at what, like, most NFL players are like. That's well, not what most you, guys are like. There are, there are a number of scenes that, like I said, where are these, where are these parties? <laughs> exactly. You know, I played for the Raiders. Yeah. By the way, Cap supposed to be 38, which is how old I am. And when the movie started, I was like, is that how old I am? Because you know, sometimes you go back and be like, how old was that actor mm-hmm. when he did that role? That's how old I am right now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how old was Kevin Costner in Tin Cup? 38. Dennis Quaid looked rough for 38 in that fucking movie. <laughs> he was actually what? How old was he? 45, I think. 45. And another one of my favorite scenes is when he gets Elway'd right at the end. Uh-huh. Like his last possession. It's a total Elway. Mm-hmm. Total Elway. Um, yeah, so we like the we lo- we we got through the scenes. Uh, what other mentions do we have? Well, we were just kind of talking about some of the supporting for- performances. So why don't we just jump right to that? Howie, I know you're a big Charlton Heston fan. Chris has told me that you like some of his old films. Yeah, I really set him up for movies. success when he always he always plays whether it's the president or you know someone significant in in the movie with. Uh, um, the, the Western, mm-hmm. uh, two different versions of it. One's with Kevin Costner. Uh, Dances with Wolves? No, no, no. The the shootout at the OK Corral. Uh, Matt, what's... You, you, Looking. Yeah. Hold on, we'll find <laughs> it. One's with Kevin Costner, and one's with Kurt Russell. Yeah. The yeah. Tombstone? Tombstone. Oh, Tombstone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the movie, towards the end of the movie, when he's he's got his sick friend and he's staying with him, Charlton Heston comes out and he's, you know, seems like he's two feet taller than everyone. Right. And he says, "If they come, if they come for him, they got to come through me." Mm-hmm. You know, he's always that kind of uh, badass. Just a, a larger than life character. He was perfect in the film for that. Yeah. 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 And and I didn't really get. I mean, like, part of the movie that I didn't love was. And maybe you could include the gladiator stuff in here, but like the shots to all the fans, like they were like ghosts. They were trying to tie that thing together with like Willie Beeman and Al Pacino. I didn't get that. Maybe somebody could yeah. explain that. That to stuff me. was kind of a reach. Yeah, somebody could explain. But that you know, me. that's just a. Cre- I think that they went that in that direction creatively, and you mean like, uh, like you said, I think they yeah the flashbacks. Well, they swung uh, at the fence. I guess the lightning. I, I guess it was trying to emulate. Felt like I missed something. I guess it was trying to emulate the the championship he won. Mm-hmm. Maybe like that was the way like yeah. he won it. But again, like that's maybe it was like a plot hole. Maybe that's something that they watched at his house, <clears> like <throat> that they cut out the movie. I think they just tried. They tried to do some things from a cinematic standpoint that were 
you know, from a visual standpoint that were a, a little bit of a reach. So best supporting actors and actresses, like I thought, and also I just, we'll give out the dad, you can just sit this one out, but smoke show of the, the movie mm-hmm. is obviously Cameron Diaz, in my I opinion. I don't know that what? it's that obvious. Oh, I think it's pretty what? obvious. No, Mandy Murphy. Well, who's that? Jesse from St. Martin Bell. And I, I kind of like Lauren Holly. Dude, I, I just, I, you know, her run in the 90s, <laughs> The Mask, she'd never been in a movie before. People were like, who the fuck is this? And then, you know, I thought... Something about Mary. Something but also, I, Mary. I, the point is, she was great in the movie. And she, uh, I, thought, I, thought her, I thought her role or that subplot was necessary because that was another layer of football. And, you know, it's funny, like, because with ownership, you get to see it. Like, it is a succession kind of deal. And, you know, not everybody is the same. It's like a total crapshoot, like what your kid's going to be like if you own an NFL team. She was she was ambitious. She was. And I think also probably the way she felt on set with all those alphas (laughs) and doing that very masculine movie is how her character in the movie would have felt. So it was kind of interesting. How tall is she? I think she's like 5'8". Because the scene with her and Jamie Foxx in the locker room. He's little compared to her. She, well, she's looked, probably wearing heels. She, like, the way the angle of the camera, she looks like she's towering over him, and it's so funny. Well, another thing from that very same scene, it's kind of a plot hole, is there are no meat <coughs> handshakes after games. Like, owners don't come down, and, and like, I've never had a, well, I did have a female owner. She never came in the locker room. Georgia Frontier. But yeah, no, there were no. She walks right up to a naked guy and shakes his hand. Shakes his hand. That's not that no one's doing that. Yeah, they didn't have they didn't either have that in the movie. Um I also thought Jamie was great. I thought James Woods was great. Uh there really wasn't a bad performance in this movie. Aaron Eckhart was good. Um Aaron Eckhart told um an interesting story on uh our friend um He's good. Yeah, he's 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 great, he's great actor. Yeah. Seems like a great guy too. He's on yeah. Rich Eisen. I saw him tell this story. He rolls up. He's not working that day. He's just like watching things. Like I guess he had just gotten in. Hasn't been introduced to anybody. Oliver Stone's like, you you want to fucking get busy today? Like he's like, no, I'm not working. Like what do you want? He's like, go out there and talk to Al Pacino. Go talk to Coach. So he walks out, and I was like, you're not even scheduled today. Like what's going on? And they're like, go over there and lead that drill. So he has to walk over to all these eight, ten, three hundred, fifteen pound guys and start fucking yelling at him and they don't know he's the coach. And so he's motherfucking these guys and the drill ends and one of the guys has to be separated from Aaron Eckhart. He's threatening <laughs> to kick his ass. He's like, who the fuck are you? If you ever talk to me like that again, I'm gonna throw you up in the stand. <clears throat> and he goes, I'm your offensive coordinator in the movie. So like Oliver Stone's style is just wacky and the way people describe shooting this movie was like chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, down to like shooting. They did that with The Godfather. Did they? They they had a dinner. Yeah. And you know he didn't tell them. Uh, he just said you know we're we're the the entire dinner you're in character. Uh, so yeah. first night yeah. they've just met everyone. Just throw you in the deep end. Yeah. You know which is kind of yeah we were just talking about Tin Cup. It's like Cheech telling you know Kevin Costner just put some shit in his pocket, mm-hmm. fix his swing, stop thinking about it, just go act. Oh this guy Jack Rose. Uh, John C. M- M- McGinley. Yes. He's he's in supposedly a lot of Oliver Stone movies, yeah, and he was based on Jim Rome. <coughs> and you can see that. I don't know if I saw Jim Rome. Um, I'm not sure of which which uh, which kind of. I could see Jim Rome. I thought it was a mix of Jim Rome and Nick Wright. 
who Nick Wright is the guy now who's on TV. Uh, and I think if they recast the movie, Nick Wright would be the guy to play uh, Jack Rose. That was more of a time with like local beat reporters, which I yeah. think it's sort of based off of, but they also mm -hmm. used the Jim Rome because Jim Rome got attacked by... Chris Everett. Well, he was calling Jim, Jim, Jim Everett. Chris he was Everett. calling yeah. Chris Everett, <laughs> yeah. which, you know... Listen. Well, yeah, be prepared to... Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I, I listen. I, I like Jim. I I've done Jim Rome's show a number of times. I wonder what he thinks throughout now the course of, of my career. I mean, I, I've never had a problem with him. But if you're going down that road, yeah. But but with the beat writers, that's a real thing though. Like coaches and beat writers, like they have like rivalries. You know, there's guys in Philly that the coaches are like, "Fuck that guy." You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That they're like, "I don't want him anywhere near this player." That sort of thing because they grind these axes over a course of three, four seasons, and all of a sudden you got a rivalry between the, the head coach and, uh, and the, the beat writer. All right, we want to add in any other, like, unnecessary scenes, plot lines? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, holes. yeah, so okay. my first thing is, did anyone notice that Jamie Foxx has a tramp stamp in this movie? No. He has a tramp stamp that says cocked with two guns pointing at is his Is that butt. real life? I, no, I have no, no. idea. And, and that, you know what, that, <laughs> to me, that, that's, that's where you go off the rails. <laughs> you know, you're trying to kind of oversell the idea of this is what football players yeah. are like. And then the Cayman in the, in the shower. No one's got the uh, uh, alligator. <laughs> like. there's, no, there's no heavy metal circle. After games, you see how they were all playing Metallica, and there's like a battle over. No, the... but it's not heavy metal. But there's there's definitely there's definitely pockets. But that was like that it's was more a, country. Oh. The country music gets cut on exactly by guys. But yeah, there's definitely no one throwing the alligator in the locker room. Okay, there's definitely Beeman hands the ball off in his first game, and they drill him like oh, that's a penalty. Penalty. Yes. Um, the team plane too nice, too spacious. Like planes are not like that. I don't know about y'all's no. plane one like that. No. Um, LL Cool J supposedly making ten mil a year per the kid, confirmed by LL Cool J's character. Yeah. Uh, not realistic, especially not in the '90s. I mean, right now guys are getting tagged at ten million dollars. I mean, back in the day, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, I, maybe you could weigh in on this, Dad. But like, when Cap and LL Cool J and Pacino are in the back room and Beeman starting and they're going to more of a passing offense. I thought it was unrealistic that LL Cool J in front of like four people is talking Reebok, about his Reebok money deal. to the head coach. <clears throat> yeah. I just, I, it's, it seemed a little bit far-fetched. I've never heard that. Okay. I've um, never heard that. I've heard, look, I get one more sack, I get a $50,000 bonus. And that's a good segue to the next plot hole to me, which was, and Nolan, maybe you can help me with this in today's day and age, but like, I don't remember ever getting a, a, a bonus that was based on, you know, incentivized by my play that stretched into the postseason. You know, at one point he was volleying to, he, he wanted to play. Um, and he, he said, if tackles I get two more tackles sacks. in a sack, I get a million dollars. This was the last game of the season had ended. But so remember, this is not the NFL. This is but the you, Yeah, you're right. It's a different NFL. league. They it's, could have a different salary structure. They could have a different They say salary. that the Miami Dolphins exist, so the NFL, in theory, exists in the same universe. Well, oh, I, I, I think it's like anything else. It's like it's like the two guns down yep. tramp step. I mean, it, it's an exaggeration or trying to get a point across <laughs> or, or overemphasize something that they perceive as happening all the time when it really it really doesn't happen. Uh, and can you step on somebody to get in the end zone? I put that too. Yeah, I don't like think you can step on like Beeman's last touchdown in um, in Dallas. 
Yeah, he basically, yeah, he jumped. yeah, you can't do that. So, but it is the AFFL, <laughs> well, you know. So, fuck. They have um, they have a terrible special teams team. Oh, they do. Yeah, throughout, throughout the movie, they're getting special gashed. teams is they're bad. Gashed on okay. special teams. All right, not apply. Well, you don't think about great. coaching. How many how many actors do they have to coach them up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if something is going to suffer in a, in a production, it's probably going to be a special teams. Be special teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's move ahead to uh, best prop. Oh, also, Cameron Diaz isn't even watching the last playoff game. Yeah. For fuck's sake. She would be watching the game, especially her character. Next. Best prop? <laughs> the eyeball. <laughs> yeah. That's what I got to Okay, oh, the eyeball, which yeah. was the most unnecessary part of the whole movie. Unrealistic. Like, totally too. unrealistic. I mean, we, you had the Orlando Brown thing. Mm-hmm. With uh, with the the flag, you know, eye injuries happen, but I've, an eyeball happened in, that happened in college basketball, right? Like the kid from yeah, Villanova, yeah, yeah. right? Got, got, he got his the fix someone's I don't know about finger Villanova, but yeah, like right something. Somebody I think got the, their eyeball scooped out. Yeah, the finger went in and it popped had it to out. Get it reattached. Yeah, had to but get it, was, it pushed wow. back in. It was still attached. Yes, yes, it was yeah. still on the string. This was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like the uh, shark's gold tooth, I think. An eye popping out of the socket is considered a medical emergency. <laughs> yeah, no shit. No shit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Coaches. That's on Google, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The, the prop, good to know. The prop I would like is coaches jambalaya. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he was calling it jambalaya yeah. the entire movie is so funny. Well, it, it was a play on him trying to be relatable. Yeah. I mean, like everything he... he, he his first pass at Jamie Foxx was to be relatable, yeah. you know? You know what he said? I, I, no, you know what he said? He said, he's, he's got him on the sideline. He said, you know, just just don't worry about it. Simplify things. Yeah. Said, you know, just think the back. <laughs> Run to the Buick. Back back where you get. Run to the Buick. You're in the hood. You're in the hood. You're in the hood. You're it's in like, the neighborhood. It's like the whitest thing yeah. to say. Uh-huh. You're in the hood. Yeah, yeah. Run to the Buick. I, um, yeah, I, th- I thought... Uh, it's yeah, it's the it's a and then it's, it's good callback in the movie when Jamie kind of throws it in his face like look like you don't get it like yeah. you don't get it you think you but do. But I thought that was another great scene. It was a real Him good going scene. Going over dinner, the and, Al Pacino back and, and forth was a and it's crazy to think that this movie was in 1999 and if you run that that um that Jamie that Willie Beeman speech to his coach, it's still pretty accurate Dude, everything he's what, saying. What's interesting that meeting to me was like. Uh, the clash of the two eras. Mm-hmm. It was like that's what was happening right there. It was like new football, uh, uh, you know, awareness, players <clears> being <throat> self aware of their worth, but, you know, black quarterbacks about talking about this, race, this, talking and, about. And, and, and then he jumps into the college, like he even says in that speech about like what college, like it's the same dynamic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now we're about to see that even more yep. coming up with the NIL deals yep. and parents having to figure things out. He and, was the new age athlete. He was the old school coach. And this was like the collision course. Yep. And it was interesting because they were finding, they didn't find common ground in that moment, but and it's they a both new made school, good points. It's you know, a new like, school owner. Yep. Yeah. Yep. In, the, in the old code. Yep. And then the fact that they played into the storyline that he was a kid that had his stock drop because yes. he took something minor and someone Which in today's gave him a day suit. and age seems so ridiculous. So, so, so ridiculous. Someone so gave ridiculous. you gave you a suit. But, like, we hear about those stories. The whole, what yeah. was the, when it I first started. Yeah. The, the Ohio State, the kid, they were getting free tattoos. Yeah, I used oh. to make fun of James Larry and I all the time. Oh, yeah. like, did you pay for those? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or giving away, you, you could think about ruining your, your, your college legacy because you we gave had a, we someone had a, a jersey yeah. or something like that. We had that problem at Villanova. 
it was just cash just flowing. I bet it was. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's flowing. <laughs> I tell everyone I wish. handshake. I tell everyone I wish. Everyone's like, yo, you guys definitely had that at Virginia. And I was like, guys, I would have no problem <laughs> no telling you. And I was like, I really, really no wish. No chance. <laughs> Howie, just so you know, Ben-Hur was actually playing on the TV in the background when Pacino has Jamie Foxx over. Yeah. It's like a callback. Yeah, Easter yeah, yeah. Weston. Yep. Yeah. Uh, nice catch. <laughs> all right, so best use of mil music in the film. Nate, what you got? I got Kirk Franklin, Revolution, um, during the TD Pass, um, Jamie Foxx throws versus the Crusaders. I think when that song hits, it's... Um, I think it's strong in a movie because it, it seems like it's a hip hop song, but it's actually a gospel song. And I was just, say. Yeah, and just like with the tie-in, gospel, right? Yep, yeah, and just yeah. with the tie-in of like Jamie, the the storyline that, that like his mom has never seen him play because he plays on Sundays, mm -hmm. and it's sort of like realistic, like where there are some parents like who are church. really like churches. <laughs> hey, like I'll go to your game if it they doesn't change. interfare. They change. Yeah. They Nate, change the time on those. Nate, yeah, you know Nate Church. Celebrate Halloween? Is it a pagan holiday? <laughs> yep. It's what? It's a pagan holiday? <laughs> it's just the day. I didn't know that either. The day of the, the, the day. So of Nate, the devil. all the other kids were dressed up. Nate was at home. I right. used to I used to only be able to dress up as like sports people. So like I used yeah. to wear like I remember Sounds reasonable Bernie Williams jerseys. Nothing demonic. No mm -hmm. like witches yeah. or warlocks yeah. and things no like that. No warlocks in the in the college <laughs> household. <laughs> I actually like the My Name is Willie, Willie Beeman rap song by Jamie Foxx. Oh, I like yeah. them, I like them dropping some Bill Withers on us, Use Me, in the, uh, in yeah. the Dallas game. Nice. Yeah. You know? And then, the and then obviously. Matt the, liked the DMX song. Yeah, I was just about to say the yeah. DMX, my. <laughs> is, uh, how, how, you, how is you into Bill Withers? Gate, um, a good track. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Bro, come on. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Does that wow. bother you? One Come of the on, coolest bro. people. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. You, you gotta watch okay. a documentary on Bill Withers. Yeah. Okay. I you gotta watch. Still it. You walk. You walk away. Still Bill. He's West Virginia guy. Just a voice of a really fucking, cool yeah. guy. Okay. What genre is he? Uh, I mean, like, uh, I guess you would call it soul. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you know. Okay. I right. have to check it out. Drip awards. So this is uh, either the best or worst dress. Any comments on any clothing? Yeah. Worst dress. The Dallas Crusaders. Uh, yes. They had the worst uniforms in sports movie history. Yeah, same thing. I mean, not to mention that whole setup there in Dallas. <laughs> it looked like a Knights thing. It that looked was kind like, of like a in clan Vegas. meeting place or something like the Knights Templar kind of thing. Like some, a right. culty, like Al Pacino's up there at the podium. I'm like, what do they usually do at this fucking podium? Where my mom took you guys to some, you know, they reenact. Yeah, the, it looked like the medieval or medieval, uh, times. medieval times. You got the yeah. same yellow one as them right now. Yeah, I do, do. But this, this kit's a lot better. <laughs> I thought that was a hideous stadium, hideous uniform, the whole thing. Also, yeah. all these old coaches were really well shot. Well, do you guys know, uh, I think Howie might, do you know who this old coach is? Johnny Nice. There we go. Yeah. That's and they had, they had, that's yeah. an easy one. They had, they had, I'll tell you what, if you pull up, pull up, I don't know if you can get him, offensive tackle from the San Francisco 49ers, Hall of Famer, Bob, Bob St. Clair. Clair. Bob He's 6'8, six, 6'9. Yeah. Six, Bob St. Clair is the opposing Dick coach. Dick Buckus is a coach, too. Yeah. Which was like, oh, there he is. Like, you know, anytime you see Dick Buckus, he kind of stays to himself. But uh, LL yeah. Cool J, after the Crusaders win, yeah. his drip. His drip. Was, yeah. was good. His yeah. what? His drip. What he was swag. wearing. His swag. His swag. I think Terry, T was Terry Tate in the movie? Can you look that up? 
Uh, Lester Spate, who's Terry Tate, was in the movie. He's the security guard. See? Okay. See? Yeah, I knew it. Like, they, they flashed when I watched it. I watched it this morning. And, like, was one he the, the guy that wouldn't let Willie Beeman in? No. Or? Like, like he's, like, a like, sideline security guard or oh, something. Yeah, he's one of the shark security guards. Got so, it. like, they flashed to him. And I'm like, that guy looks familiar. Who is it? And then I remember. I'm like, That's oh, so I literally put Terry Tate question mark, question mark. That's so good. The one thing <laughs> we should mention is that LL Cool J and Jamie Foxx really got in a fight now yes. i think a lot of people probably know this about the movie if you've read up on it but uh in one of the scenes where they're supposed to be arguing on the sideline i guess ll cool j was putting a little extra english on the shoulder pats and you know just getting a little physical but not over the line and jamie swung and jamie jamie swung on him he said don't 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 touch me like that they, they do another take he touches him like that jamie hits him in the face and ll cool j is like what the fuck was that about? Rips his helmet off. So he rips his helmet off, and LL Cool J in the interview describes how he did it. You would you would like this. He pulled the face mask up and was throwing uppercuts. Down and then up. Yeah, down yeah. and then up. Because the head goes. But they, said, but they said he was he knocked, knocked out, out cold. Knocked out cold. They said they said initially and Jamie cool Fox. Now. They said initially Jamie Foxx pressed charges. There were police. They, and and they might that it put um, filming on hold for like two days until they Damn. rectified it. <laughs> To get Jamie Foxx is like seeing things and shit. He's bright lights or he's sensitive bright lights. So like you got to get out there. And then the plot you hole know? in the movie. It's funny because the scene, um, it goes for them racing. Yeah. I think that that racing scene with them outside that originally that maybe there was a fighting scene that mm-hmm. was cut out because they go right from that racing scene and Jamie Foxx beating LL Cool J in that race. Um, which is a good scene, the way they did that. But it goes straight from there to LL Cool J getting stitches in his head and the doctor telling him, like, yeah. I know a good um, um, surge, plastic surgeon that, that can, because he has a bald head, that yep. can fix that up. And I'm just like, w- w- like, what happened? And it's funny to hear, like, to I think, think they about got that. into it. They got into it in the movie. Yeah. But, like, but you watched it twice, though. So. But, like, it goes straight from that race to him being into the thing. It's yeah. not when they get into it. They get into it. After, yeah, they get into Probably. it after Probably. in the shower. Yeah. But still, in all those scenes, it's always LL Cool J getting the best of Jamie Foxx, not the other way around. Oh, you mean Jamie Foxx getting the best of LL Cool J? No, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, in the show. Well, because he actually was probably beating him up in real life. They probably <laughs> kept some of that footage well i think they lost some of it and they wanted it back but all right we'll wrap this up here a couple quick hitters uh bevel conway award the most beautiful scene what was the most beautiful like shot most beautiful location well <laughs> to me is because it's unrealistic but it's the party in yeah the, you love that party huh? scene, you yeah. know? bill bellamy's getting the blow job everyone's <laughs> casually walking around oh, there's boy. dudes doing coke and then other like two other girls come in, in. <laughs> like they come in casually to get mad to grab their guys yeah. out of the party and i'm just like yo if like first off like nothing like this would ever happen you say like you know the, the end of the game <laughs> When the sun was no. setting over the stadium. Twice here. Yeah, yeah. okay. Perspectives. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh, I would ask you this. Whose house was not whose house did you like better? Cap's house or Al Pacino's house? Pacino, it was a gorgeous house. He had a beautiful tree outside his kitchen. He's on the water, he wins. He's on the water. Yeah. He wins. Cap's house is really Dan Marino's house in real life. And that thing yeah. was palatial. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that is, but that's a beautiful house. In Miami. Well, I know where, though, because oh, okay. as we know, Miami's got... Sunny Isle, probably. You know, not Miami Gardens. 
I, I read that that we rented it out. Yeah. Did you have a favorite location? I would be more that like that for yeah. the visuals. Like yeah. I mean, I'm not thinking the party. And... How yeah. about a, uh, a goosebump moment? Something that like gave you chills. You mentioned one earlier. It's the speech. I yeah. mean, it's the speech. Like when it comes to sports movies, for me, this is the speech. And yeah. last night when it finally got to the speech, I was just sitting there and I was so zoned into it. I had goosebumps and about 10 seconds left in the speech. Meg's like, hey, can I ask you something? And I'm like, you know, like, just let me get through the whole damn thing. I had to rewind it and watch it again. <laughs> I love that speech. I used to watch it before games. Um, and the older you get, the more you identify with it. You keep um, going back to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's truly, and it was inspired by a Schottenheimer speech. And Al Pacino supposedly went. Mar Marty, was, Marty was good. Yeah. And he supposedly shadowed uh, Shanahan for a while before he played the role. Any, any. I don't know. I, I never viewed him like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, Marty was, Marty was all about emotion and relationships, and um, had him at the Pro Bowl. He tried to trade for me a couple of times. <clears throat> uh, liked Marty a lot. Yeah, I thought that was just an amazing speech, and all the other sports speeches. You know, people talk about Kurt Russell and Miracle. I think it's overrated. You know, you look at the mocks. Uh, speech at halftime of the last game varsity Blues. but he's like, trying he's trying to in miracle he's <laughs> capturing a guy that's not really dynamic and hockey's a whole nother world yeah and you know a, a, a kid who grew up two three streets down from me jack o'callahan was on the team yeah. so for me it was kind of yeah i just so didn't like cool. objectively no, it's, it's yeah. different it's just al, you got al pacino speech. giving yeah. a speech yeah it's pretty amazing now it's a little unrealistic you'd never have it that's like a night before the game speech at the hotel more than it is the best speeches you ever get are at the hotel yeah you know like the, the speech you get never got game, one at the hotel well i talk about coaches like you know sometimes coaches uh. will talk to you the night before in today's NFL, they got a different yeah. message every fucking week. And sometimes really good. And, you know, sometimes you have players get up and talk. And some of the best, most emotional speeches I've heard have been in hotel ballrooms. The game day speeches. Like, it's hard to it's hard to fully, um, I think. You're not going to have somebody on a knee for five minutes either. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard to fully take in, like, everything like a game day speech. Because realistically, you you're know. not listening. You're just, like, fucking. There's a lot go. of guys that are just, like, ready to go. <laughs> I want to say this, though. Pacino's first speech, which I loved. His, uh, oh. maybe the first game at, at the half. <laughs> yeah, when Alex Cool J raised his hand. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I'm just telling you, that speech, that is Jeff Fisher. Like, I don't know if Fish loved this movie, but <laughs> Pacino at the half, at the beginning of the movie, sped up, or actually slowed down, is Jeff Fisher, down to his hand movements. You know, Fish would talk like this, and his hands would go like this, and there was something else Pacino was doing. Fish was exactly like that. And the reason guys love Fish was the same way Al Pacino was like peer-to-peer -peer with you. Like he was like, I'm the fucking the king, but we're in this together and I'm gonna talk to you like a man and I'm gonna appeal to like the realness. He's a player. Mm -hmm. You know, and Fish Fish had that like, you get into half, we'd be down, we'd be playing like shit, but he was leveling with you. He's like, come on, like what the fuck are, you know, like he, he would just appeal to the, the most realistic, um, the most realistic thought in your head. And you Something know- Something you relate to. A lot of coaches, they, they they talk at you. A lot yeah. of coaches, they got these 
preconceived messages that they're trying to push. Like fish was, fish was real like that, and he just reminded me a lot of of fish at different points of the movie, and that's a compliment because I think anybody want to play for Al Pacino. Al Pacino's crazy. Yeah. All right, let's just do a closing thoughts or anything else that you guys had notes on that you wanted to hit that we didn't get to hit. Yeah, so I think when it comes to the casting, it's kind of interesting when you look back at some of these movies, who was almost who. I mean, we talked about Puff Daddy was almost, at that point he was Puff Daddy, I think. He was almost uh, Willie Beeman. Hmm. The, the, studio wanted, the studio wanted him because his music at the time was generating a lot of revenue. Well, they also made a run at Will Smith, who was not interested. Puff Did Daddy he? came with an entourage, and Pacino was like, Nah, like I'm cool, but this is not gonna work. So we had that. Another fact about the movie that I read was that they'd have Miami models and like, you know, on the line between model and sex worker, they'd have these chicks like bust out to the set to encourage the cast, which is a lot of players and a lot of like, you know, A-listers to stick around and work. Uh, like, so they'd like keep them around with some of these gals that you saw in the movie. Marketing gig. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that I thought I thought Clint Eastwood. I read was almost Al Pacino. That wouldn't have worked as well. Um, yeah, I thought it was a great movie. Or not great movie. Let me not say that. But like a, a seven, seven out of ten. So after watching this movie again, I want to ask you guys: yeah. Is Brock Purdy the white Willie Beeman? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Minus the the uh, minus the personality. Yeah, the, <laughs> minus the minus the this part. You know the bell curve when he was like thought he was, you know, next grace. Yeah, sliced bread. I think Brock Purdy the storyline. The storyline. Yeah, not yeah. like obviously. They not. lost in the in the championship too to the Eagles. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's pretty good. I thought about it. I was just like, because my girl was like. Like, she was like, does this really happen? And I, and I laugh, and I go, like, actually, this oh, just yeah. happened with, point it with, yeah, like, yeah. with Brock Purdy. I was like, it's 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 a shot in the dark, you going into starting a season as a third-string quarterback, and you think that, like, you're going to end up playing. I just watched well. Marshall Fox, you know, ESPN, <laughs> late at night in the hotel in Philadelphia, and one, Marshall Fox was – Amazing, yeah. Uh, baller. I, it, it all like just reminded me, re reminded me that he was great. Um, but Kurt Warner, that was the whole deal with Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk. Ironically enough, missed the block mm. that you know hurt the quarterback, and you know. So <clears throat> I think they did a great. To me, the essence of the game itself, they captured uh, all the peripheral stuff. Yeah. I think it was a little bit exaggerated, obviously, a lot exaggerated. And you swing for the fences, and I give them credit. I thought they did a great job, and I thought Al Pacino was fabulous. Um, you know, I thought there were really a lot of great performances. And I thought, once again, I, I give it to LT. LT was, LT really showed some great emotion in the movie. 
And they knocked it out of the park, I think, with the the final football scene. Um, yeah. Slowing the clock down um, all the way to, like, LL Cool J's um, position when he take, gets that that screen and he's running. They actually have him, like, switch his, switch his yeah. hand to the right hand, <laughs> yep. like, to get ready to go out of bounds. And yep. I'm watching. I'm like, yo, this is actually a really good. The little min- minutia of it all. Yeah. Because like, yeah. it's, it's the things as a football player, you know, two-minute drill. Like, that's what it kind of seems like for you. It's, you know it's only 40 seconds but like you know like hey 40 seconds we're about to get six or seven plays in if we do everything the right way and, and um, he has to he has to trust you know for Oliver Stone who you know has obviously has no no football background uh, to trust the people he has in place and to trust the players I'm sure people are getting coached up during the scene oh, yeah. as they're running the scene by whether it's Terrell Owens or it's Jim Brown or yeah. it's Whoever Lawrence Taylor, no, 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 that's not the way you do it. It's a, it's a five last five seconds. Switch hands, get out of bounds. Yep. Do this, do that. And Alan Graff does a great job with, uh, with the, the the second unit. Oh yeah, one more thing. If the Justin Jefferson thing never happened later, yeah. I would say that scene is unrealistic when Willie Beeman gets flipped yeah, into yeah. the end zone. Yeah, yeah. But now that we've seen it, yeah, we've seen you can't Jerome say <laughs> in the end zone. Yeah. you can't say that it's unrealistic. All right, Dad, thank you for uh, coming through and yeah. uh, talking to us about the movie. Yeah. You know? Do you guys validate on tickets? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you do that online? Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you.